This is a conversation with Benjamin Henner as part of CODA, the KYHS 2020 Coronavirus Oral History Digital Archive Project. The interviewer is Rebecca Henner and the date is May 12, 2021. Benjamin, may we please have your permission to share and include your remarks as part of the CODA project? Yes, you have my permission. Thank you. Okay, question number one. How did you react upon hearing about the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it was, it was pretty scary, I would say. It was, uh, first of all, your immediate thoughts are in terms of your own family and those who are closest to you. Um, so in terms of the impact on their health, on, on their school, on, um, on my job, and obviously my job is, is based in a hospital and so my level of contact is going to be higher than a lot of other people's and, and the risk of potentially bringing those um, infection, bring those infection risks, you know, home and how to be careful and, and all that stuff. So it was very new, not something that we had dealt with um, either as a doctor or just even, even in my lifetime, really having a pandemic on this scale. So it was just something that required a lot of, learning and reading and, and adapting to. Um, and it was just something that was very concerning. A lot of changes were happening simultaneously in terms of the economy and, and uh, in terms of uh, just cases in the operating room. I'm an anesthesiologist, so a lot of elective surgeries weren't being done in order to preserve space in the hospital for patients that might require it. So there were a lot of uh, cancellations and just, unfortunately, the need for some doctors went up, the need for other doctors went down. So there were a lot of doctors who didn't have a lot to do during those uh, several months at the beginning of the pandemic because of uh, just cancellations and uh, really elective surgeries. But those kinds of cancellations unfortunately had some bad consequences because the things that could have been discovered earlier on ended up uh, not being uh, discovered until later dates. So uh, I think we've learned a lot from it and um, be better, better prepared to handle something like this next time. Okay, great. What was the first thing that changed about your day-to-day -day life as a result of the pandemic? Well, the first thing that changed, obviously, you know, wearing masks. Um, anytime you're indoors with other people or outside of your own family, uh, even just walking around the hospital, I didn't used to wear a mask unless I was doing a procedure, unless I was in the operating room. Um, so just a heightened alert for potential risk of exposure. Any patient that we interacted with, we really needed to know uh, is one of the first things to find out, you know, have they tested, you know, for COVID? And if so, how reliable is the test? Uh, still some lingering doubts, you know, how reliable some of these rapid tests are that were performed, um, whether they're really giving us accurate information. Um, so really just the main change that happened, um, at least early on, was just getting used to you know, having to you know, wear masks and obviously 
Um, and on a family level, I mean, it canceled school. So there were a lot of um, changes in terms of um, homeschooling and, and kids being away from their friends and on computers and just a totally different uh, style of learning than they've been accustomed to for their entire life. So uh, there's a lot of change that took place both at home and, and on the job. And um, obviously travel was something that was interfered with. Uh, nature of my job is um, I have a full-time job, but I also do some work um, both within Florida and outside of Florida. Um, at other hospitals and then once, as I mentioned before, once elective surgeries kind of came to a grinding halt, the need for anesthesiologists really dropped off. However, there was a need in the ICU setting and ended up uh, working uh, a couple of shifts in, in the intensive care setting. Uh, and in those, uh, those situations, I was really surrounded by uh, full, full ICU, full unit of uh, patients that are uh, dealing with COVID. Some are vent a lot of them are on ventilators. Um, so there's even a higher level of uh, safety precautions that I had to take in those, in those situations. Um, but as far as travel, travel to, you know, other states or uh, other locations within the state really um, dropped off for several months. So, um, but over time, uh, things picked that picked back up as certain guidelines were were um, uh, were eased, and uh, and people learned a lot more about the pandemic and um, the ability to do certain surgeries safely, uh, especially if someone's just coming um, for an ambulatory surgery, not going to occupy a bed, then. Um, in my view, at least, it seemed uh, more straightforward to be able to do the surgery and then have them go home as opposed to someone who might require hospitalization. And then you're, you know, really taking away some of the resources that could be allocated to patients with, with COVID. Um, so that was my experience. Okay, great. How did the hospital start preparing in the wake of hearing about the pandemic? Well, one of the main things was to make sure that there was enough PPE, enough, um, enough protective gear for doctors and nurses and respiratory staff, respiratory therapists, and uh, all the people who interact with patients. Um, and that became challenging because it wasn't just hospitals that were competing for PPE, but there were other um, other occupations, other, uh, people, you know, I remember going to, uh, going to a local deli to get lunch and the person behind the counter seemed to have like more intensive, you know, and better equipment, like in terms of their eye protection and the gowns and gloves and, and, and so there were, you know, people in the food service industry who, who needed it, but, but again, hospitals really needed it. And, um, you know, there were times when they were reprocessing uh, either the eyewear or, or masks had to be reused. And, and uh, so I think that was one of the biggest um, struggles was uh, making sure that there was enough equipment for 
for the for the staff to to be safe and to be able to either do the procedures, do the surgeries, go in and out of rooms, figuring out how to um, how to just also to prevent you know burnout. I mean, I think it was very stressful. Not saying on my end. I mean, uh, you know, anesthesia. A lot of times, I'm really just taking care of one patient at a time, and I also know oftentimes in advance if this patient is a high-risk patient um, to us. But, uh, you know, imagine if you're an emergency room doctor and, uh, or if you're in the ICU and just, uh, just the sheer volume of patients, especially first couple of months in the places where it really hit hard. I mean, think about New York and New Jersey and um, just the, the, the number of cases and the, the number of um, you know, it was very difficult in terms of just treating the patients, learning how to, which therapies were working, what, you know, like there was a lot of research and just, I was part of these online, uh, discussion groups on social media and, and th those would be helpful. You would read different accounts from from doctors and, and nurses and other health professionals uh, all over the country, sometimes all over the world, and just seeing what they've done, what what was helpful. Uh, you know, one thing that became popular, at least in uh, in the intensive care setting, was um, turning patients into the prone position. Usually, people are you walk into a hospital room, typically a patient who's on a ventilator would be on their back, and they'd have the breathing tube and all the monitors. Uh, in place, but but with Corona, one thing that that uh, was found to be helpful would be turning patients on their face for a good part of the day, and that was supposed to that was supposed to help them recover from their uh, um, whatever respiratory condition they're suffering from related to coronavirus. So there was just a lot of a lot of new things to learn, a lot of new techniques that people were trying and experimenting with. And I think they're still learning from it. Fortunately now, um, you know, the vaccine has not totally eliminated coronavirus. I mean, there's still cases, but I, I think um, definitely, at least in Florida, I mean, the number of hospitalization has dropped off significantly and, um, Maybe a little bit of the fear uh, has also gone down as more and more staff are vaccinated and feel safer taking care of, of these patients. But uh, early on, it was just really just a lot of unknown, and I think a lot of a lot of burnout. Um, I think a lot of people really had a tough time emotionally seeing what was going on. Like patients really could just deteriorate so rapidly, and a lot of them came into the hospital and family wasn't allowed to be there. And I think that makes it hard for, you know, the patients and also hard for the staff in terms of just seeing patients really suffering and just not being able to have their loved ones near them. And, you know, seeing people, you know, I remember seeing pictures of people in nursing homes and you're only able to communicate with your family, like either through, you know, through a window or through, and it's very difficult, especially if someone's already in the later stage of life and really limited amount of time that they have left with that person. They're not even allowed to be in the same room or uh, oftentimes people were even in different States and just couldn't travel. And, uh, you know, we have uh, 
relative in our family who passed away, lived uh, a long life uh, to late 90s um, and unfortunately ended up having a funeral without any family members there at all. It was just all done remotely and it was, it's sad in a way that uh, a lot of people were not able to have family around them at the time that they really needed it most. So I think that affected obviously the families involved, but I think that also has an effect on, on staff who are taking care of these patients. So. Okay. What was it like going into work every day? I know you touched a little bit on this already, but knowing that there's a possibility of being infected. Well, I mean, every day that, you know, at least the nature of my job is there's always risks. I mean, um, you know, even, uh, there's always a risk of puncturing yourself, you know, when you're doing a procedure, you're, you're dealing with patients that have communicable diseases, whether it's HIV or hepatitis, or you always have to take certain precautions and, um, there are risks involved in, in doing invasive procedures on them. Um, but this was different. This was just in a sense, scarier in the sense that, you know, people thought, you know, obviously the main risk is through breathing in um, the virus, but it could also be, you know, possibly spread through contact. And so it really wasn't known, you know, how, you know, how it was communicate, it was tr transmissible from one person to another and all the surfaces that are touched. If you're, you know, touching the same computer or touching, you know, if you're, you know, you have to rely on your colleagues um, taking the utmost um, safety precautions and, 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 and cleaning all the surfaces that are, are used. And um, so it was just kind of a, a tense time and um, I think compounded by all the changes that were going on in terms of the country and lockdowns and stores closing and and certain products that were not available in the supermarket that people were panic buying or uh, I think all all that together just led to a lot of stress obviously when you're at work you have to focus on your job but then when there's other things that are come up I mean you're only human so if they're you know family members um who are locked in or, or shut in and how are they going to get the things they need and then when they go out are they putting themselves at risk and then um you know i mean financially people people were hurting and there was uh a lot of tension in the country it's you know a little bit later on a few months after the pandemic started and and there was just uh it was just a, a tense time for the country and but for healthcare workers, especially, just, uh, I mean, we were really on the front lines and dealing with something that most of us had not dealt with before in our career. So just a lot of, lot of changes. And uh, it was good to get back into uh, a regular routine once they started allowing more surgeries to take place and things. You kind of got it into a so-called new normal. Um, and we're, we're still in to some degree, but, you know, Fortunately, now that we're like 
you know, 14 months after this whole story, we're starting to, you know, come out of it step by step. Um, what was your biggest fear during this time? My biggest fear during this time would be bring home an illness to my family. I mean, that was really something I really, really was concerned with. Uh, obviously, I didn't want to get sick myself because then I couldn't take care of the patients. I couldn't provide for my family and do what I needed to do. Um, but I really did not want to, God forbid, bring home um, this disease to my wife, my children, uh, my parents when, when I had the opportunity to finally see them after many months of not being able to be with them. So that was, or obviously be a carrier and pass it from one patient to the next. So just being extra vigilant in terms of not either catching it myself or transferring it to a colleague or to a patient or anyone else that I'd interact with. So, How did you cope with the lockdowns and restrictions that were put in place? Well, it wasn't so easy, but it was something that uh, I recognized just had to be done in terms of public safety. Um, but I, I think uh, at least the state that we live in, um, I think the leadership recognized that there has to be a balancing going on of uh, the need for public safety, but also the need for people to make a living. So um, there's a limit to how much or for how long you can actually lock down an economy and rely on the government to really to provide support to a substantial part of the population. So, um, but it was upsetting because really so many aspects of life were, were affected. I mean, uh, I mean, I've gone into the changes that took place um, in the hospital and in terms of uh, reduction in hours that I was working, but um, you know, there was a lot of the other outlets that you have are just not available. I was, you know, I'm, I'm someone who likes to go to the gym to uh, work out and exercise and have a break um, from the daily, you know, grind of, uh, of working and gyms were closed for months at a time and all sports events were canceled. And so uh, a lot of the things that you enjoy doing, I mean, like, you know, I was still able to ride a bike and be outside. It was, it was nice spending a lot of time with family and, um, but it was just a big change from the normal routine. Okay. So that sort of leads into the next question. Do you think that the COVID-19 leadership did a good job in dealing with the pandemic? And if not, what do you think should have been done differently? Well, um, I think the government and the business leaders and people in the pharmaceutical industry did a great job in terms of getting a vaccine out in really an incredibly short time. You look at uh, historically how long vaccines are usually taken when other diseases are involved. So I think it's pretty remarkable that um, the pandemic that really hit the United States, let's say in 
March, maybe late February, that by December of the same year, there's already a commercially available vaccine. Uh, I think that's remarkable. Um, I think that, um, you know, one can criticize, um, you know, the, how whether travel restrictions should have been placed earlier um, on, you know, uh, in terms of China, where, where the epidemic really emanated from or, uh, but again, I don't know exactly what was known to various government officials at what time and, and, and how transparent the information coming from some of these countries was at the time. So, uh, I think that um, over time, some decisions that were put in, people later realized that really some of these might not be necessary in terms of um, travel between states and locking people out. And uh, I think eventually people realized um, that some of those things are just really difficult to put in place and just uh, difficult to enforce. Um, but overall, I, I think there's a lot that people learned from this pandemic that if another one happens, I think certain things, uh, they'll realize like these things work, these things might've been unnecessary. Um, some of the restrictions on outdoor activities, I think are overdone and, uh, I think, uh, it's refreshing to see that some of the changes are, are being put into place to recognize uh, that there's a difference in risk between indoor and outdoor exposure. Um, so I think uh, last administration overall um, really did a phenomenal job in terms of um, spearheading uh, the production of a vaccine. And I think that's going to be a life-changing um, uh, tool that's going to really help the country emerge and really need to work on getting the vaccine out to countries that are less developed than the United States because it's um, really some countries, India partic particularly at the moment, uh, really being hit hard. Um, one point last week, there were over 300,000 cases daily and uh, there's a lot more poverty, uh, a lot of short shortages in terms of oxygen availability and healthcare. And I think it's really essential that, um, that countries that have the wherewithal to, to assist other countries really need to step up and, um, and help people at this time because uh, there's going to be major, major loss of life, unfortunately, if, uh, countries that don't have the same resources or are dealing with a pandemic that really, I mean, if a country as advanced as the United States has already lost, according to the numbers, over 500,000 people, then imagine how a country with more overcrowding with, without the technology uh, where people just don't have the same resources to cope with this uh, really, really going to suffer immensely. Okay, definitely.
Um, so you mentioned before how you've um, traveled. So can you explain how traveling during the pandemic worked and how it changed over the year? Yes. Um, just thinking back, I don't think I traveled too much in the first few months uh, after the pandemic started. I mean, uh, I had been traveling for work reasons, but once uh, uh, the need for my healthcare services dropped off, uh, I really didn't need to leave the state. And there were, uh, you know, certain restrictions in terms of, although there were exceptions for, for healthcare workers uh, or essential workers, um, but you had to really think, do I really want to be in an enclosed space in an airplane and people traveling from, you know, you don't really know who they interacted with. I mean, if you're uh, on a flight with airline staff or people that were traveling from other countries or there's just a higher risk of, uh, of exposure. Uh, I mean, later it became more accepted that, um, whatever ventilation system is in place in an airplane really, really limits the chance of, uh, of exposure. Uh, but you're still, you're still in a con confined spacing very close to somebody they blocked out, uh, the middle seats. They have a little bit more, more room, uh, on certain airlines, but, um, still just have to be extra careful in terms of all the surfaces that you're, you're touching, you know, um, when you're on, on an airplane and, um, just the whole process, uh, really changed in terms of wearing a mask, you know, you know, throughout the whole, um, you know, on the airport, on the plane, taking it off uh, when you're eating, but how long can you take it off for? Are you, you know, is there a higher risk of exposure if the person near you is not being as compliant? But it was also, uh, you know, there were some challenges. You had people traveling with small kids. Like the, you know, what if a kid's not compliant? What if they uh, have a hard time wearing a mask or seeing certain certain things on TV during this whole pandemic of children who, uh, whether they're just too young or some have special needs or other things came up and they either couldn't or wouldn't wear a mask and there were confrontations with, uh, with the staff, with, with, with uh, the flight attendants. And so it became just a, a more tense time I guess to fly and uh, also you'd land and you'd have to get used to you know, the restrictions that were in place in New York weren't necessarily the same that were in place in Florida. And um, so just a lot of different things to get used to in terms of uh, travel and obviously leisure travel. I mean, there were no cruises anymore and uh, there were just really just not, the opportunity to have like real recreational travel for a long time, uh, just because a lot of things you might think of going to were either closed or just, I mean, just for months on end. I mean, uh, theme parks and, you know, movie theaters and just a lot of, um, a lot of outlets that people would have were just not open. So really, uh, just took a lot of adjustment. Okay, great. Um, if you wouldn't mind um, explaining a little bit about your experience with contracting COVID. 
Sure. So I actually was fortunate in that for the first eight to nine months of the uh, pandemic, uh, despite all the so potential. Hello? Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, despite all of the potential exposure that I had at work and later on in the pandemic, when I was starting to travel again, um, I was looking forward to the vaccine coming out and I was very close to actually getting through and getting my uh, vaccination. And really it was about a week or so before uh, in December, I just started feeling just some of the telltale symptoms. I mean, achiness, just not a lot of energy, lower appetite. And then once I lost my sense of smell or, and taste, I realized, well, this, this is probably it. So uh, I got tested and turned out to be uh, positive. And so I spent about um, seven to 10 days isolated from the rest of the family, wasn't able to work. And um, fortunately, uh, I was spared from any serious um, complications in terms of breathing or in terms of um, any need for you know, seeking hospitalization or any other therapy. Um, so I was very lucky in, term, in terms of that. Um, and you know, my biggest concern then was obviously just to um, keep myself separated from the family as much as possible so that uh, I would really avoid uh, getting anybody else, getting anyone else sick. Um, but on the other hand, once I had it, and I returned to work, it, it kind of took away a little bit of the, the fear of being around uh, patients that might have it. And I remember being in cases where it was a known uh, COVID history and just obviously I had to use certain precautions, but knowing that I had a recent, you know, confirmed case of it and antibodies that I just felt uh, more comfortable and, and less um, less stressed about being in that situation. Okay, great. Um, just a few more questions. What was your experience with the vaccine like? Uh, my experience with the vaccine, I had about 24 hours of just feeling tired, low-grade fever. Uh, it was really the same after the first and second rounds. Uh, I was expecting the second round to be worse um, based on what people had told me for those uh, individuals who'd had COVID uh, and then uh, had the vaccine. So I was expecting more of a reaction. I had the arm pain both times, and uh, but that went away after a couple of days. And it's really just lethargy and just feeling achy um, and a low-grade fever. But overall, not too bad. Do you have to go? Can you take a break for a second? Yeah. Wait, Dad, just maybe go on mute.
Ja. Okay. Do you have to go now? I have like two more no. questions. Okay, okay, no problem. All right, so I'll start again here. How did your feelings about COVID change as the year progressed? That's a tough question. Well, I was actually surprised that it lasted as long as it did. I really expected it to be more like the flu where it has a season and I get my flu shot as a healthcare worker. And fortunately I haven't contracted the flu um, in a very long time, but I just expected it to be something more that uh, maybe would pass as the warm months came on. And, uh, but that really wasn't the case. There actually were um, uh, some spikes uh, at least in Florida, there was a big spike that happened uh, in the summertime where cases really um, shot up significantly. And I don't know if that was a function of um, more people mixing from other states or what exactly triggered it. But um, I guess over time, I just realized that I mean, as a healthcare worker, it's just another condition that we have to cope with. We have to, it's just a reality of the job. I mean, thinking back to the early 80s, I mean, I wasn't in medicine at the time, but uh, HIV was really just coming to the forefront. People uh, were seeing certain symptoms, certain diseases that uh, were affecting uh, specific populations and just really had to learn like uh, what this was about and how to, how to protect yourself and uh, eventually how to treat it and had uh, at least in the HIV AIDS context how to uh, really change it from a, pan a pandemic where people really were dying in droves to a condition where people were um, living with a chronic chronic disease and um, but as healthcare workers, there are a lot of uh, just precautions that you have to take in terms of doing invasive procedures and, and drawing blood and putting in IVs and catheters. And, and so just with COVID, uh, similar in terms of just learning how to, uh, how to protect yourself, how to, how to 
treat the patients optimally when, um, and we're still learning. I think we're still figuring it out. Like if patient had COVID, when do they need to get retested? Is, are they carriers? Are they, and someone who's a vaccine still have it? Yes, we've, we've seen people who are vaccinated still have it. Typically it's not as severe a case as if they had not gotten the vaccine. Um, but I think just really there's so much to learn. Uh, and and um, I think uh, I think people should just realize that um, it's it's something that that you have to take certain precautions, not just to protect yourself, but I think to protect um, your family or people you don't know. And and I think a lot of aspects of our life were affected. Um, but over time, it was really, um, really important to see that people were learning from, like, from the science and from available data and research, and and at least in terms of uh, how our schools have reacted, how our places of worship have reacted, how uh, even places of entertainment and restaurants, and how to do these things safely, and and I think. Um, there, there has to be some type of balance. And I think place, and I think, you know, different states have reacted differently. And, and I think you're seeing a lot of people, um, at least in Florida, you've seen a lot of people migrate to the state because um, leadership has recognized that um, people value their freedom. People also are adults and, and, and can make certain decisions. Uh, uh, in their interest, but also taking other people's health and well-being into account. So, uh, I think it was important uh, for all of us to uh, recognize that this was a serious disease. But on the other hand, um, life and people's livelihoods and and um, and just being in a free country. Uh, are important values that Americans really treasure. And so I, I think over time, I think there's still work to be done, but I, I think there has to be uh, a balancing act between uh, putting in certain restrictions on, on people's ability uh, to support their families um, and, and you know, protecting the greater um, health and well-being of society. So I think over time, that's something that um, that we all still need to work on, but there's definitely been uh, some steps in the right direction. Okay, great. Last question. How did the experience of this year shape your outlook on life in general? Wow, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I would just say gave me a greater appreciation just for um, being healthy. Um, because even though, you know, they say people with certain pre-existing conditions were higher risk for COVID, there were still plenty of people who were totally healthy that ended up on ventilators and, and, you know, sadly, you know, many of them unfortunately passed away. So I think just one, just appreciating the, you know, gift of health and, and of life and, realizing that nobody's immune, even though your risks might be lower 
if you are someone who keeps yourself in, in good shape and good health, um, just being around uh, your family and valuing uh, the time you spend with family. And there were periods of time where we weren't able to see very close relatives of ours for a long period of time because uh, they lived at far distances or because of their age uh, needed to be protected a little bit more and just taking less risks upon themselves. So I think, uh, you know, people that you're used to seeing a lot and you go for months without being able to see them. And uh, I think that, you know, you really appreciate just the quality time spent with family and friends and uh, just in terms of just being together, you know, you know, uh, religion is something that's very important in my life. And, and one thing that I enjoy doing on the weekends is joining fellow congregants in prayer. And, uh, there's a social element to it as well. And, and hearing, uh, a religious leader, you know, speak and inspire you and, and to have that closed off for, really for months, uh, from really from March, uh, till maybe June started to emerge and start to gather together again in, in, in a COVID friendly way. But I think, um, really isolated people. And, uh, I, I think, um, you know, having those family and community and, and friend gatherings, um, come back to life really is something that's important in terms of uh, your enjoyment of life, your quality of life, uh, in terms of just being more of a complete person instead of someone just goes to work, comes home, goes to work. I mean, there's a lot more um, that goes into someone's life. And when a lot of those outlets were, were shut off, I think it's just compounded, not just the, uh, um, now the healthcare, the health risks, but I think also the emotional and um, psychological aspects of it. And I think just really for, for kids, especially, um, you know, all the school closures for me, that was just uh, really tough and really unfair uh, to the kids. And I, I think that um, we see it in terms of the rates of anxiety and depression and social isolation and, and suicides and, and, and just, uh, and for leadership, uh, various levels, local, state, national, really to, um, to allow that to continue and to not have kids be in school, be with their friends, especially recognizing the risk is just so low for a child or a teen to contract it, end up being hospitalized, or God forbid, having a bad outcome. Um, the, the, I mean, the real, um, hopefully, now that every, you know, the kids will get back in the classrooms and life will, will go on. But I think, um, I think if we are in this situation in the future, I think they really have to recognize that um, when you're making a decision you, ha you have to really think of like what the ramifications are in terms of um in terms of the people you're affecting and i think there's a lot that people are going to learn um from how governments dealt with covid 
and in terms of school closing, in terms of travel restriction, in terms of uh, shutting down businesses. And uh, I think that um, there's going to be a, a lot of positives that were learned. And, and uh, for me, there are um, a lot of positive, experience, positive ex experiences in terms of um, just uh, working with my colleagues and in terms of um, in terms of uh, taking care of people in time of need and uh, it's really a scary, uh, scary situation. Um, but I think the, that society really will have uh, um, a lot to learn in terms of um, how to protect people's freedom and, uh, and allow them to lead as normal life as possible while still being concerned for the health and well-being of, of, of the rest of the world. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. It was nice talking with you.